last game of the season. The team had lost every game, and everyone expected them to lose again and to lose big because their last game was against the league's powerhouse who had rolled over every team they played. But the amazing thing was, with only five seconds left in the game, they were down by only five points. The ball was at their own 20-yard line, 80 yards to go, time for one last play. And with nothing to lose, the coach turned around, he looks down the bench, and he spots the third-string quarterback who had not played a single down all year. He couldn't even remember the boy's name. So he simply points at him and said, you, get in the game. You have one play. The boy runs out onto the field all excited. He calls the huddle and said, okay, guys, we're going to run play 13. Players set up on the line of scrimmage. The ball snapped. The wide receiver takes off. The boy takes three steps back and throws the ball as far as he can, and as the clock runs out, the receiver runs under the ball, catches it, goes all the way for the touchdown, and they win the game. And as the opposing team just stands there dumbfounded, the stands naturally are going crazy. The coach, stunned by what had just happened, approaches the boy and asks simply, whatever made you call play number 13? The boy said, well, I looked around the huddle, and I saw number nine, and then I saw number eight, and I added them together, and I called play number 13. (laughs) Son, I don't want to ruin it for you, but nine plus eight does not equal 13. (laughs) Gosh, coach, if I was as smart as you, we wouldn't have won. (laughs) Doesn't it seem, though, sometimes that life can be that way? We can have all the right credentials, resources. We know the answers. We know what needs to be done. But we struggle along and nothing seems to go right. And then along comes someone who doesn't have a clue about what they're doing. They don't know where to start. They stumble along and everything just falls perfectly into place. Sometimes that's how I picture what had happened with the start of the church in Acts, and why the religious leaders took such offense at the apostles. Because they were the ones that were supposed to have all the answers. They were the ones with the training, the education, the resources, generations of tradition to guide them in what and how to do things, but it all was so empty. And along comes this itinerant, carpenter's son with some fishermen and assorted commoners who continually broke every rule in the book of how things were supposed to be done, and God does amazing things through them in ways that they could only dream of. And I wonder sometimes if maybe that's why Jesus didn't choose any Pharisees or Sadducees, any religious leaders among his first disciples. He didn't choose anyone with the right credentials who would bring all the baggage with them, preconceived ideas on how things and the church should be set up and run. That didn't really come later until the calling of Paul. Instead, he chose men who, as far as leadership and organization went, were a blank slate. These others had had their chance. Now God was going to do something And he started from scratch. 
It's true that Jesus had spent almost three years with the apostles, but he was teaching them about the kingdom of God, not training them in administration and how to make a budget and finance and run a church and things like that. And within 18 short hours, he was arrested, tried, convicted, executed, and suddenly everything was literally on their shoulders. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days, the scripture says, continuing to teach and instruct them. He ascends into heaven where, and leaves them where now they were on their own, and they really didn't know where to begin. Other than to choose a successor for Judas, they were uncertain what to do, so scripture says they called a 10-day prayer retreat seeking direction and waiting for the power from on high that Jesus had promised. And at the end of that 10 days of waiting, Acts 2 tells how on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came and the church was born. Within a matter of hours, it grew from about 120 followers of Jesus to over 3,000, it says. And suddenly the disciples have a very big challenge on their hands. What do you do with so many new faces? These are common, uneducated men. There were no MBA programs to turn to, no management books and seminars and online courses to take. They didn't have a clue. So they did the only thing they could think of. They concentrated on the basics, and they built from there. Their time was spent on the things that were most central and critical. And Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, contain a very brief description of the earliest expression of the church, what they did, and what was most essential. Because while there are many good and important things that have been added since then, before all the structure was in place, this passage shows at a most basic level what the work of the church is, and by extension, because we are the church, what the foundation for our own lives are to be built on as well. The scripture says in verse 42, they, and this is referring to those 3,000 that had, were mentioned in verse 41 that had just come in, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The key word for this whole passage, Luke's primary description of those early believers, is that they were devoted. When you talk about being devoted to something, you're speaking about something that's very important to you, something you care about a great deal, that you're willing to give attention to. The word devoted literally means to care deeply about something, to hold fast to it, to do something or to persist in it with intense effort, even in the face of difficulty. For those who are sports fans, a great example of this would be the team sometimes referred to as the lovable losers, better known as the Chicago Cubs. Their fans define devoted sports fans 
holding on to hope and persisting in difficulty in support of their team in spite of 107 years without a championship, the longest of any professional sports team. They define devoted. And whether it's a person or a sports team or your job or something else, you don't ignore something you're devoted to. You don't walk around treating it like it doesn't really matter or leave it until there's a more convenient time. Like Opihi stuck on rocks, even in the face of waves and current, trying to pull it off. They're stuck there. And Jesus' followers are defined or described as devoted. They weren't allowed about to let go or to ignore him. It's like in John 6, 68, when things were getting a little tough and a number of people turned away from him, Jesus turned to his 12 and he asked them, are you going to leave me now too? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? Because you alone have the words of life. To paraphrase another passage, Jesus said, he is the vine, we're the branches. Branches have to stay attached if they're to bear fruit. The early followers devoted are, were devoted. Are we As hard as we may try, as many good deeds as we may perform, as much as we may do, the only way to fulfill God's purpose for our lives is by Christ's active involvement in it, being stuck on Him, devoted followers. Because devotion isn't words, it's action. It's seen in behavior over time, paying attention to those things that help us to draw near and keep closely attached to Him. And in their devotion to Jesus... Acts says the early believers in this passage were stuck really on three things. The first is what is referred to as being devoted to the apostles' teachings with a desire and a commitment to grow both in knowledge and in understanding of their God. They were stuck on his word, in other words, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul told the Ephesians that as God's family, his household, We are to be built literally on the foundation of the apostles and prophets because Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. In Corinthians, he said, there's no foundation other than Jesus that can hold up over time. Jesus said in Luke 6, if we build our life foundation on him and his word, then nothing will be able to shake us. And just as our bodies need food to grow physically healthy, We need spiritual food to grow spiritually healthy. We need the nutrients that come from his word. To be devoted means you need to take it in, get to know what is in it through reading and studying it alone and with others. When Luke writes, they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles based on what follows and in the context of the passage, he's clearly talking about the people coming together to learn and to read and to study it as a body, not just off on their own in the privacy of their own rooms. You know, since we're coming to the end of January, it's the period of time when most people who have already or have made them have already given up on New Year's resolutions. And since most of our resolutions tend to deal with things like losing weights and healthy lifestyles and exercise, I thought I'd give us a reminder. We know we should eat more healthy. Less salt and sugar and fats, right, Lola? That's her job. Um, We know we need more vegetables and fruits. 
We need to exercise regularly. We need to get enough rest. We know these things. To, we need to do them to be more healthy. But what do we really do about it? Don't we often ignore it and procrastinate, take an easier, more immediate, and pleasurable route that over the long term can actually do harm? We don't need a book or a diet to give us the facts. We need the discipline to follow through. And it's no different in relation to our spiritual bodies and our relationship with the Lord. We know we need to be in God's word, don't we? We need to be in worship. We need to be in prayer and to serve and to give. But it's so much easier to neglect such things and keep on with our bad habits. It's usually not an issue of knowledge for us to grow. It's discipline. To paraphrase something Korean pastor Billy Kim once said, it doesn't take discipline to press the remote control to change the channel on a TV, and it doesn't take discipline to open the refrigerator 10 to 15 times a day. It does take discipline, however, to open God's word and get to know it and the one to whom it points. To be a disciple, a follower of Christ, takes discipline. Disciple, discipline, connection in the words there. Paul said such things as continue to work out your salvation. He wrote about going into strict training like a runner or a boxer. He wrote about being, pressing on to reach the prize for which God had called him to. We need discipline to start and keep a spiritual exercise program. And an important part of that must be, as with the early believers, a devotion being stuck to God's word. But it doesn't end there. Luke says they were not only devoted to the apostles' teachings, he says they were also devoted to the fellowship, committed to one another, to Christ's body on earth. They were stuck on his people. Our faith is built both on a relationship with God and to other believers who make up his body. Notice verses 44 through 46 here elaborate on this when it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's a description of what devotion to one another looked like. Faith and church are not just what happens, in other words, here in a building, they thrive when taken out of the sanctuary and into the homes and the marketplace when faith becomes integrated into life. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Yet, that's what so many are saying today. I believe in Jesus, but I don't need to be in fellowship with others I can do it on my own and live my life with Oprah and the internet to guide me. It's amazing how many excuses people come up with on why they don't need or have given up on the body of Christ. One person got so tired of hearing all the excuses, he decided to turn it around and come up with his own list of reasons he was giving why he was giving up attending sports events. Some of the more popular ones include because every time I go to a game, they ask me for money. The people I sat, sat by didn't seem very friendly. 
The seats were too hard and uncomfortable. The referees made a call I didn't agree with. I was sitting with some hypocrites. They, all they came to see was what other people were wearing. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. During ha- halftime, the band plays some songs I didn't know or like. The games are scheduled at a time. I wanted to be doing something else. It's my only time to do laundry or go shopping or my chance to sleep in late. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel I know more about that than the coaches do. I don't want to take my children because I want them to be able to choose for themselves what sport they like the best. The Apostle John went so far as to say in 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In other words, John is saying, fellowship becomes the test of whether or not we are walking in the light. St. John of the Cross wrote, the soul that is alone is like a burning coal that is alone. It grows colder rather than hotter. And whenever I abandon the church, I am the one who suffers. Certainly, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy or run smoothly or differences won't arise. That happens in all of our families all the time, but we don't give up on them. We need each other. Something the early believers realized, which is why they were said to be stuck on fellowship. Hebrews says, therefore, we are to consider how to stir up one another in love and good works to seek and promote, to develop a rich, loving community of faith who give evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to the fellowship, but it also says they were devoted to the breaking of bread, which was a common way of referring to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And when taken together with teaching and the fellowship, communion and prayer are the foundation of worship. They were stuck on worshiping together. They came together regularly, the passage says, for the purpose of praise and honoring and glorifying God. In Acts 1.14, it says, when they all joined together constantly, and that word constantly is the same word as devoted, in prayer. In Romans 12, 12, it says, we are to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful or devoted in prayer. Colossians 4, 2 says we are to devote ourselves to prayer and being watchful and thankful. Jesus said God is seeking people to worship him. And while we can do it in our own privacy, The primary expression of worship in Scripture is corporate. The people of God coming together to declare the praises of God. That's why Peter, when he wrote, said, we are corporately a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. God's special possession for the purpose of declaring the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light for worshiping him. And as they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, getting to know God through his word, and devoted themselves to caring about one another and the fellowship they had through that common faith they shared, and they devoted themselves to worshiping together, it says the word spread. 
People heard. People saw that here was something different. People whose lives were touched and changed, who cared and lived with joy and hope. It was attractive. Something people wanted for themselves. So verse 47 says simply, God bless them. They not only enjoyed the favor of all the people, but the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But it all started with the prayer meeting, waiting for the coming of the Spirit in power. And the people responded in pure devotion to Christ. They were stuck on Jesus, attaching themselves to the things that were most important. No fancy flowcharts, organizational structures. They didn't have all the bells and whistles you often see today in churches. But at their foundation, they were stuck on his word, they were stuck on his people, and they were stuck on worship. What are the things you're devoted to, you're stuck on in your life? The things that take your time and your attention. The object of your affection. Jesus' invitation is to make it him. And as you do so, he says, he comes in, he lives with us, and he brings joy untold and everlasting. And as we close in a moment with our hymn of commitment, it's an invitation if you have not experienced that and devoted yourself to him to invite you to do so. To pray with you. To ask if you need to make a commitment to him to join with this church or to be baptized or perhaps to accept him as your savior And Lord, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing. Would you all please stand? And as the worship team comes, will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that you call us not to be left on our own, to figure out things on our own, but ultimately, you live within us through your Spirit. And you guide us and you love us and embrace us in so many ways. Help us to be a people that truly are stuck on you devoted to the things that you give and do in our lives, that we may serve the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.